Welcome to Journey Through the Bible with Joshua Smith. The Bible is the single most important book in history. It is the very words of God put on paper. In this podcast, we will walk through the pages of His Word as we seek to understand His message to us. In Isaiah 55:11, God says, My word that proceeds from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper where I send it. As we study His Word, He will accomplish within us what He desires. That is our prayer. That is the journey. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to this week's episode of Journey Through the Bible with Joshua Smith. Have you ever thought about how boring life would be if we were all the same? You know, how unvaried our existence would be if we all processed life in the same way, if we all liked the same things, if we all talked the same way. It, it would be pretty, pretty boring. What's that old phrase? It says, variety is the spice of life, right? Well, the thing that comes with, with people, we're not all the same. We're different. And with differences, sometimes comes difficulties. But even in the midst of those difficulties, we're still called to be unified. That is what we're going to be talking about today as we dive into Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 16. The heart of this podcast really lies in that passage you heard at the beginning in Isaiah. That the word of God, when it goes forth, it will not go forth in vain, but it will return having accomplished what God purposed it to accomplish. As we study the word of God, as we understand more and more what God is saying to us, the revelation of his word, and as we align our lives to his teaching, that's what changes us. That's what molds us into the image of Christ. And that's why this podcast exists. That's why I love doing this. That's why I love teaching the word of God. If this is something you enjoy, I encourage you share it on your social media channels, uh, share it with your friends, however you can get the word out. Because again, God's word is powerful. And when God's word goes out, it does accomplish exactly what he desires it to. This week, we are in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read verse 1. Last episode, we spent some time on verse 1, but we're just going to hit it again because it ties into the rest of it as well. So verse 1 through 16. Let me go ahead and read that for you. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, 
so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Last week we talked about walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we were called. and That's the, the beginning part of this passage. And we really hit hard how that calling that Paul is talking about is the calling of salvation that we see in the first three chapters. Those first three chapters, we see this beautiful, uh, really doctrinal, theological discourse from Paul explaining the work of Christ. And again, we mentioned last episode that that we, we see a whole lot of the work of Christ in the first three chapters. We really don't see any work of man. It is all the work of Christ. And here in chapter 4, Paul transitions from seeing the work of Christ in us to the work of Christ through us and how we join together in making that happen. Here we are introduced in this passage to the second part of that calling that Paul talks about where he says walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. The first part is salvation as we talked about. But the second part is found here and that is Christian unity. Unity is an essential part of us walking worthy of what God has done for us. What does the Apostle John say in his, in his epistle? I believe it's, I'm not sure which one it is, but it's one of the Johns there in, in, in the latter part of the New Testament. He says, they will know you by your love for one another. Unity is essential. And we see that right off the bat, beginning in verse 2. You see, we've been, we've been exhorted, we've been encouraged, we've been even commanded to walk in unity. And I, I don't believe it is for naught that the first practical outpouring of Jesus' power that we see here in Ephesians is in unity. We see the, like the theological outpouring, right, in the first three chapters, hey, uh, he's coming and his power is working in us to save us. And now into the practical aspect, the first thing we see is unity. What does that say about its importance? It's first on the list for a reason. But something I want us to grasp about this unity is that this unity is not a unity that we can contrive. It is a unity of the Spirit. That's what verse 3 says, right? Paul tells us to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. It's not something that we can work up. It's not even something that we can make happen in our own power. Again, it is only in the power of Jesus. Uh, Recall the Spirit's work in our lives in Ephesians is effectuating the power of Jesus in our lives. That's back from chapter 1. right? The work of the Spirit in our life is to effectuate the power of Christ within us. And that is exactly what we see here. Unity is an effectuated work of the power of Christ that the Spirit is working in us and through us. 
And this bond of unity, the bond, the things that hold this unity together is peace. Right? We're told to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And just recall peace is, as wholeness. We are, we are whole. We are content. We are at peace. That is the bond of unity. So, so how do we walk this unity out? What, what does that look like? Well, Paul gives us kind of a, a recipe here. He gives us an ingredient list of how to walk out this unity that he's talking about. The first, the first ingredient that he brings out is humility or lowliness. And here's the thing about humility. Humility breeds humility. If you live your life in a humble manner, the people around you, they're going to see, see that. And it's going to make an impact. And it's going to change them. Because we respond to that. Philippians 2, 1 through 4 says this, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So we walk out this unity through humility. And we're, we're, we're really, what Paul is saying here in Philippians, we're, we're trying to outdo each other in humility. What, what would it look like if we were trying to outdo each other in showing humility. The next ingredient that Paul brings out is gentleness or, or meekness. And this really is the willingness to have an injustice done against you without retaliating. We can look back at the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, right? And what does Jesus say? He says, blessed are the meek. This gentleness, this, this meekness. We're, we're willing to have an injustice done against us without retaliating. Not everything requires an answer, right? Paul also tells us that this unity happens through patience. This patience is the willingness to give people the time to change and to grow. Sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes this change takes time. And we are being patient because we are united together in the, bond, in the spirit and in the bond of peace. And this patience allows us to look at that person and understand that the process of sanctification is a pro is exactly that. It is a process. It takes time. Paul tells us to bear or to show tolerance, as the NASB, which is, which is what I read, uh, says. Bear or show tolerance with one another in love. Now, here's the question that arose in my mind as I read this. Why do we have to show tolerance to each other? If we're acting perfectly towards one another, you don't, right? That's the point of showing tolerance. That's the point of bearing with one another is we're not going to be treated fairly all the time. Even among the people of God, we're not going to be perfect. We're not going to get it right all the time. There's going to be words said that perhaps should not have been said. There are going to be things done that should not have been done. There are going to be offenses that are potentially to be had because we're all in this journey together. 
We're all growing in holiness and growing in sanctification. And we're not perfect. And sometimes an impatient word is going to happen. Sometimes a frustrated, a frustrated action is going to show forth. And Paul tells us when this happens, bear with one another. Bear, bear, and bear with one another in love. Because guess what? We're not going to be treated fairly all the time. Unity requires forgiveness. And sometimes unity requires forbearance. Unity requires overlooking those things. Because I want to maintain that spirit of unity. And that's exactly what Paul continues uh, to say. He, he tells us to be diligent in verse 3. Be diligent to preserve or be eager to maintain is how the ESV puts it. Why does something need to be maintained? Right, something needs maintained because it tends to naturally diminish or lean towards deterioration. Right, I have to change the oil in my vehicles because I have to maintain them because they tend to lean towards deterioration. We have to be eager to maintain this unity because it doesn't happen automatically. And just like everything else in this broken, fallen world, this unity needs to be intentionally maintained by us, the people of God, because it tends to naturally diminish or lean towards deterioration. This word, be eager, it's, it's this, this sense of zealously give diligence or be intensely devoted or intensely enthusiastic about doing this. This shows the intention and the hard work that goes and that unity requires. Just because it is an outworking of the power of Jesus does not mean it will be easy. Just because it is an outworking of the power of Jesus does not mean it will be easy. I was teaching this at my church um, a m month or two ago, and my, my nephew, Caleb, chimed in here with just something really really powerful and so I wanted to include that in here and, and, and share it with you on this thought of unity he says this he said Caleb said this the more I give attention and time to do something the more natural it becomes and the more a part of me it becomes this is from a young man young teenager my nephew very proud of him when, when, when he said this but how great is that how good is that the more I give attention and time to do something, the more natural it becomes and the more a part of me it becomes. The more attention I give to maintaining unity, the more natural it becomes and the more a part of me it becomes. And this also shows that we do not create the unity. Remember, it is the unity of the Spirit. It is created by the Spirit. But while we do not create it, we do have a responsibility to maintain it. While we do not create the unity, we have a responsibility to maintain the unity. But why? Why, why, why is unity important? Why, why is this here? Why is Paul talking about unity? 
Well, he, he, he tells us in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Verse 5, one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism. Verse 6, there's one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. But here's the thing, we cannot confuse differences of appearance with difference of essence. Right? We, we, we may not all worship the same, right? A, a worship service at a Pentecostal church may look a little different than a worship service at, at, at a, 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 a Baptist church or a Methodist church. But, but if the essence is the same, we're all worshiping Jesus Christ. That's the important part. And that's what unity looks like. Like, we cannot confuse differences of appearance with difference of essence, as long as the essence is the same. And there's the, there, there's the qualifying factor there. As long as the essence is the same, as long as we are all worshiping in spirit and in truth, right? The, the one Father and the one Lord, Jesus Christ, that's, that's the important aspect of, of, of this here. And then, and then Paul goes into this extremely interesting couple verses. Verse 7 he tells us each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 8, therefore, it says when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And as I was studying for this, the question that came to my mind, and really I think it's every time I've read this, like what is this verse here? Like what what is this doing? It seems kind of so out of place. You know, Paul's like, hey, maintain unity. And you, know, you want to make sure you're eager to maintain it and be loving and, and show this bond of peace that, that the Spirit brings. And then all of a sudden, hey, Jesus led captives, captive. Oh, okay, well, that's good. But what does that mean in the context of it? Well, well, I, I think it's something along this. Unity does not mean uniformity. And that's really what we get from verse 7, right? Verse 7, each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Unity does not mean uniformity. We can look at 1 Corinthians 12 and, and even further discussion uh, from Paul elsewhere. We're, we're all in one body, but we have different functions. We have different gifts. And all of these gifts are decided, they're given, and they are effectuated by God. And this is why Christian unity is so powerful. We're not the same, but we can all get along. We are different, but we can all get along. And then we get to verse 8. What, what is Paul saying when he says that Jesus led a host of captives captive? Well, here's what Paul is referring to when he, when he uses this language. Back in the time of the Roman Empire, a Roman general would go out to war. They would go out to a battle. And if they, if they were victorious in said battle, they would come back to the city of Rome or whatever city they would be at. They would come back to the city and they would have their, they would, they would have their, their captives behind them. And they would parade through the streets their victory. 
They would walk up and down the streets of the city proclaiming the victory that this Roman general just won. And behind him would be the captives kind of as the spoils of the battle. And, and as he do, did this, the, the, the general would give gifts to the, the men and women, to the people lining the streets to, to congratulate and see this parade. He, he was giving out gifts. This is the language that Paul was, was using. And, and what we see here is that Jesus led that which held us in bondage captive behind him like a triumphant warrior. He came down to this earth. He lived for 33 years. He died on the cross. He rose three days later. He ascended on high. And Paul uses this, this phrase, this, this analogy, or this, this, picture, uh, this, this picture to give, give us the sense that Jesus has won the battle. And he is parading through the streets. Remember how we talked about a couple chapters ago how the church is the theater in which all of heaven and earth see the glory and the power of God, right? The church is the theater in which all the powers of the, of, of the spiritual realm and all of the earth see the power and the glory of God at work. And that is exactly what Paul is saying here that Jesus has done. This is a quote from Psalm 68, verse 18. And if you go back to the psalm, the heading in my Bible gives us exactly what we need to know, that God shall scatter all his enemies. Why is this? Why does this fit in in this message of unity? Why is this right here in the middle of chapter 4 as Paul is talking about unity? Well, Paul reminds us in verse 9 and 10, of Jesus' humility in coming down to earth, but also his exaltation. You see, this, this looks like a transition from unity to this transition about talking about Jesus marching triumphantly, enemies in tow, right? But it's not a transition from, but it's an explanation of how Jesus gives us unity. Because again, the context that we see here is Paul's point is walking in unity. The latter part of verse 8, he says that Jesus, right, Jesus, he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. This is how it fits in with the message of unity. It's because Jesus wants us to be unified, right? The first half of what we've been talking about, he wants us to be unified. He wants us to walk and maintain this unity. But how do we do it? Well, Jesus equips us and he gives us gifts to make this unity happen and to help us and to steer us into this direction of unity. Because as we see, if we go down to verse 15 and 16, we see that unity is a sign of maturity. Verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Unity is a sign of maturity, and that's why it's so important. So that's why Paul wants to make sure that we understand that Jesus has claimed victory and he's giving us gifts to steer us towards unity because he wants us to grow up. And what we must always remember, and this is where unity comes from, is that Christ is the center and the goal of our unity. Right back to verse 15. We are to grow up in all aspects. What? Into him. 
grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. We are to grow up and unity is a sign of our growing up. Jesus gives us gifts. And that's what we see in verse 11 and 12. We see this equipping. The, the, this is typically framed as the fivefold ministry. Right, verse 11, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. These are the gifts that Jesus has given us. And isn't it like, isn't this just like God? We see all through scripture how God uses people to accomplish his work. And that's exactly what we see here. Paul says, Jesus has given gifts to us to help us accomplish unity. And those gifts, right, are men and women who are used by God in one of these five ways. Right? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And these Men and women that God use, they are used to equip us for service. And they are used to build us up to, into the body of Christ until we attain the unity, unity of faith. Now unity, this unity and this maturation that happens, they work together to keep us grounded in Christ. That's what we see, verse 13 and 14. Until we all attain, right? He's given us these gifts, these, these, these men and women to equip us to build up the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And in that, and in, in verse 14 kind of is, is, is an outstretch of this, in this maturity, in this maturation that happens within us. As a result, Paul says, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. And so Paul tells us there is an interplay. There is an interplay between our unity, our maturation, and our commitment to good doctrine, our commitment to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so my encouragement to you is unity is clearly something that is extremely important. I haven't even referenced Jesus' prayer in John 17. Right? Jesus' prayer in John 17, what, what is he praying for? He's praying that we would all be one. He's praying for unity. It is something that is near and dear to the heart of God. And thus, it should be near and dear to to us as well. So what are you doing to eagerly maintain the unity of the spirit in your in your life context? In your church, in your home. What what, what are you doing? What are what are you actively doing to make sure that this unity that comes through the spirit that is effectuated by the spirit is active and alive in your life in your relationships in your context because that's what paul is telling us here He's, he says hey walk 
worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And that calling with which you've been called, it's a calling of unity. Remember, Jesus brings peace to divided things. Back from chapter 2. Jesus brings peace to divided things. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to be as passionate about unity as you are. Help us to grasp the importance of being one in Christ. And help us to maintain, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, just as Paul exhorted us to here in Ephesians 4. Help us to walk this out in our daily life. And that sometimes means that I'm going to have to overlook. That sometimes means I'm going to have to forgive. If that's what unity takes, Lord, that's what I want to do. Help us.